Hey, it's Dan Hare, and welcome to Liner Notes, revealing chats with Canada's retro music makers. This is part two of my chat with Robbie Lane. And if you missed part one, you can check it out at linernotes.ca. Now let's pick up the conversation. So you've seen a lot of changes over the years. So what, do, what do you think are the biggest changes you've seen in, in the sort of the music industry? I mean, one time I was talking to somebody and they asked me, well, what was, the, what was it about the 70s? Like talking to a younger person, what was it about the 70s? And I said, you know, it seemed like every week there was a great song coming out that I just knew I was going to love for the rest of my life. It was such a magical time for music. The 60s was much the same, but the 70s for me, being a teenager in the 70s, I was just astounded how much great music was coming out every week. And that it doesn't seem like it's that way now. Maybe it's because I'm older, but what do you think are the biggest changes in the music business and the music scene over the last, say, 50 years? Well, I guess um, when you think about it, if you look at the decades, uh, the 50s was uh, an incredibly um, big time in terms of the birth of rock and roll. I mean, rock and roll had been around in one form or another for years before Elvis came along, but in the 50s, there was all this excitement, Elvis and Gene Vincent and, I mean, Buddy Holly and all of those that you can think of that are legendary to this day. In the 60s, it was the British Invasion, the Beatles and the Stones and Dave Clark and all of that. The 70s, uh, in this country, it was the birth of the Canadian content and the Canadian industry. That's when the doors opened for all kinds of great Canadian bands, and we started hearing them all and buying them all. Yeah. Um, things kind of started to change a little bit in the 80s, uh, and in the 90s, I mean, there's music that I love from the 90s, but it's not the same excitement anymore um, by that time. But now, you know, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of people like Drake, but I don't listen, I do shop around on the, on the radio dial, so I listen to every kind of radio station there is, uh, just to hear what's going on out there. But it's not the, there's not the excitement that there was uh, back in those previous decades. It, it's changed. Yeah. But there's always good music. I don't know who it was that said there's only two kinds of music, good and bad. There's always good music no matter what era you're in. It's just being able to find it. Yeah, fair enough. I think it was Huey Lewis that said that in an interview one time. He said his, his dad had told him that. There's good music and there's yeah. bad music. Because uh, we often disparage music that's not from our generation. And I would agree. I, I just think that the time, you know, there was such an excitement. And, and now we have sort of stimulation overload, right? That there's so many options now and there's so many things that... I mean, we used to get excited about opening an album and listening to a whole album and... and going to see our favorite band and whatnot and i think that it's so saturated now and, and people are so overstimulated that it's hard to to get that same fervor back i don't know if it'll ever come back i don't think so i think we're past that unfortunately and and uh, younger people uh today wouldn't even know what that excitement was about and reading the liner notes on a vinyl album you yeah. know i mean that was all part of the whole package and uh even though vinyls made a comeback it's just not the same anymore. As you say, uh, everyone is so saturated by visual uh, influences from every tablet screen and every turn of the corner. So it's not new and exciting. It's just, oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah. Well, let's go on to the next one. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then so you didn't. It doesn't sound like you toured a lot with uh, like after your TV shows and your record deal and stuff. Did you did you travel lots? Did you tour much, or did you? Uh, I mean, we, you did the clubs, but did you did you much uh, concert touring? We did lots of touring in the seventies. Yeah, and then towards the end of the seventies, as I stated earlier, it was just getting too old uh, yeah. or too too much. So that's when I sort of packed it in for a couple of years. But but uh, since the band reformed, uh, and uh, that's like almost forty years ago. Uh, we we do some touring. We've you know flown to the East Coast, and we've done a little bit uh, in, uh, on the uh, West. A couple of uh, gigs in Edmonton and one in Calgary uh, f- just a few years ago. Okay. But mainly we stick we stick around here and do uh, Sunday afternoon matinees at various clubs and we get our crowd in and they dance all afternoon and we have a good time. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, tell me about this Shaken All Over uh, movie. How did you get involved with that? That was in 2005? Yeah, Nicholas Jennings is, uh, you know, one of the major musicologists in uh, our part of the world. Uh, he recently, of course, uh, wrote the Gordon Lightfoot biography or co-wrote it with Gordon. Yeah. Um, but he's been involved in this music scene, at, not as a performer, but as uh, a, a great student of it. And uh, so he he felt, you mentioned earlier about how you're erasing history when you erase videos and audios of bands from previous eras. Yeah. Well, he believed that very strongly, and he felt that getting together uh, a video and audio of some of these bands would be a good idea and uh, it would you know put something down that wouldn't be removed it could be sold to the public but also stored and used uh, as reference for years to come so shaken all over was exactly that and uh, he did a follow-up to that as well he added more bands uh, from the 70s and 80s which i think it was a great thing to do and the party that he threw when uh, he first released the first DVD uh, was just incredible because there we all were. You know, all of the acts that were on that DVD, most of them anyway, showed up that night oh, nice. just to hang out and talk and and BS each other and lie <laughs> about what we were doing or what we weren't doing. Um, and, and it was just a great night. So he, I, I have so much respect for him. And... Um, you know, he's one of those guys who historically has really made uh, history come true and put it down on, into, a, into a form that will be around forever. Yeah, that's a permanent record. That's right. And, and so, so he updated it as well? You said there was a... a yeah, there was a follow-up to Shaken All Over, and uh, it was another DVD, but he, he moved forward into the 70s, more into the late 70s and 80s, and... Okay. Uh, it, it's also a you know a really good piece. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad you were included in that, and it must have been a, a fun time to be part of that. And and then you uh, wanted to ask you about the Chum, and you were a DJ on Chum for a while, and then you got the Zoomer show. How did that all come about? Well, I was playing a Sunday afternoon matinee at a club on in the west end of Toronto, and we we were there for about oh I don't know maybe a couple of years every Sunday afternoon, and the owner who, you know, ended up being a friend, came to me once and he said, I don't know what I'm going to do about 
Saturday nights. Friday nights, it's packed in here. But Saturday nights, for some reason, it's okay, but it's not really busy. So I said, well, why don't you um, talk to Chum? They are, they've gone oldies, and uh, they would probably send out one of their guys, uh, one of their DJs, and you would have to sign a deal with them and buy some airtime. But I think like sort of a co-op deal would work really well. So I got, to, I got them together, the club owner and the salespeople from 1050 Chum and the program director from Chum. And we all sat down at a table, and they worked out a deal. Club owner bought airtime, was about to sign the contract, and he said to uh, the program director, there's only one stipulation before I sign this. I want Robbie to do the voiceovers for all the ads that we're buying on Chum. Oh. <laughs> well, I was, you know, I thought, oh, that's nice. Yeah. I had done some... I had done some voiceovers in the past, but I had no idea he was going to stipulate that. So that's what happened. And within a couple of months of those running, the program director called me in to the station and said, how would you like to do your own show on Chum? And I said, I've been asking for years to do a show on Chum. I would be thrilled. <laughs> so that's how I got there. Okay. And I was there for five and a half years doing evenings, and then when they shut down and went sports, big mistake, yeah. but they did, and um, I was contacted by the program director at AM740, which is known as Zoomer Radio now, yeah. and uh, they called me in to do exactly the same thing. So I've been uh, at Zoomer Radio for just over 10 years now doing evenings. Well, good for you. I love it. And it's 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 complimentary to the music business, and of course with your knowledge from the inside of the music business, and then people that you've rubbed shoulders with. I mean, you've, you've done lots of interviews with people in the biz as peers. And um, so who are your close friends in the business? Is you consider Gordon Lightfoot a friend of yours? Yeah, Gordon, um, when we were playing at La Coque d'Or back in those early days on Young Street, Gordon had not hit the big time yet. So he was playing about a, a block away at a little place called Steele's Tavern. It was on the second floor of a restaurant. And it only held about 75 people, and 70 out of those 75 were students from Ryerson. Okay. And so the Ryerson young people would come in to hear this troubadour with his acoustic guitar and just his voice and uh, a glass of beer, and he would sit in the corner and do two or three sets a night. So we heard about him, and we wanted to see him. So on our breaks, we'd run up the street and listen to, uh, you know, part of a set of Gordon, Gordon Lightfoot and then run back down to where we were playing and pick it up from there. So we got yeah. to be friends, Good. and our friendship has lasted uh, all of these decades. Yeah, no, that's great. He I, shows I, up. Yeah, I love Gordon Lightfoot. He shows up at gigs that we play. Oh, does he? And he... Uh, doesn't tell me ahead of time. <laughs> he just comes, and it's always a shock to see him in the crowd. Well, he's fantastic. I mean, I... I do my acoustic shows and, and Gordon Lightfoot is my favorite acoustic singer songwriter of all time. So, and I always tell the yeah. audience that, I mean, he's just unbelievably good and to write all the songs that he wrote to even write one of those songs would be something monumental. And he's written dozens of them. So, uh, yeah, well, good for you. I'm with you. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you. He's, but he is definitely an inspiration. Yeah. Well, just fantastic. And then, uh, you were good friends with Bobby Curtola 
And I guess you, I, I saw that you sang with him in 2015. He passed away in 2016, and he had presented you with the, the Cashbox Magazine Award. So tell me a little bit about your relationship with Bobby. Well, we again, I, we knew each other from the early days, but then we kind of lost track because he moved, He was always performing. So yeah. he was in Vegas and all over the place. And so I didn't see him very often, but when I did, it was like like the good old days. And then um, the last few years of his life, um, we became really close friends, and his son was managing him at okay. the time, and he was asking humongous amounts of money uh, for his dad's personal appearances. And so Bobby wasn't really working all that much, because right. not that he wasn't worth it, but it was just overpriced for the market. Yeah. And so... He knew that we were doing our Sunday afternoon gigs, and he would call me and say, I'm coming into Toronto. Do you mind if I drop by? And I said, well, why don't you guest with us? We'll learn Fortune Teller and Three Rows Over and whatever you want us to learn, we'll learn it. And you just get up and, and sing. And so that started happening on a semi-regular basis. And um, the last interview that he did was with me on Zoomer Radio. He sat in with me. And we did uh, a couple of hours together. But he surprised me. I was filling in on the morning show uh, one morning, and he surprised me by showing up and uh, with this cash box award, which I was I wasn't expecting at all. So it was kind of cool. And that and they'd also arranged for Gordon Lightfoot to call into the show uh, that morning and and say something nice. So it was really a, a very special day for me. Yeah, well, that's that's important because, you know, we can go through the business and talk about our successes and stuff, but it's the people as well, right? And and sometimes people will, will float through the, the music industry and they have sort of superficial friends and, and not really make close friends with certain people or have a, have a connection with people. So I always ask about that because, you know, as, as you get on in life and your perspective changes a little bit, it's, it's the people and the relationships become, I think, more important and then the successes maybe diminish a little bit. Do you think that's the case oh yeah for sure it's really you know when we really think about what life is all about and i hate to get too philosophical here but not just in the music business in life period it's really about the people that you know and the people you love and the people who love you that's really what it's all about it doesn't matter where you live or how much money you have or how much money you don't have or anything it just matters how many people are in your life and what your relationship is with them. That's the most important. So yeah. you're right. As time goes by, it's those friendships in the music business and the, the mutual respect and admiration that counts more than anything. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. And, and watching those videos, I, I got a sense of that, so I wanted to ask you about it. Good. Well, I'm going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Liner Notes has a VIP community, and we'd love to have you as a member. Listen to the weekly episodes before the rest of the world, enjoy bonus podcasts, and be the first to know about upcoming guests. Oh yeah, the episodes also have no ads, breaks, or interruptions of any kind. Check out the details and become a member at linernotes.ca. That's linernotes.ca. Now let's get back to our special guest. All right, welcome back. We're talking to Robbie Lane about the history of the Canadian music scene, and of course he's an integral part of that, so we're very happy to have him on the podcast today thanks for joining us again really appreciate you being here robbie 
Well, it's great to talk to you, Dan. Thank you. Um, a couple other things I wanted to ask you about. One was breaking in the U.S. You know, like a lot of Canadian bands always talk about breaking in the USA, and of course the guess who did it with American Woman and stuff. But have you done lots of gigs in the States, and did you ever think about trying to break in the States or maybe going to Vegas? Was that ever an option for you? Um, you know, I, to be honest with you, um, I never really cared much to do that, and I guess I'm saying that for one main reason, and one is, the main reason is I love the Canadian part of this business and people that we get to play for. Um, in the U.S., we would have been a very small fish in a big pond, yeah. even if we'd gotten a break, because, uh, you know, so many acts were released in the U.S., and there's only a few that we could, well, there's more than a few, but there's uh, not very many, especially in the early days, had much success. So yeah. I was pretty happy just to stay here. We played a couple of gigs down in the, in the U.S., but it was no big deal. And, um, you know, I was happy to come home and see the people I knew. Yeah, well, fair point, because... Uh you know, you, uh, I read Anne Murray's book, for example, and she toured all the time. Like, in your tour, she said, was 18 months long and doing TV shows and traveling through the States. I mean, it, it just became a real grind for them. So it, you really have to have that hunger and the stars in your eyes to go down there and take on, like Paul Anka, for example, he went at 16 years old. He just said, I got to go to New York and just left yeah. Ottawa and just went to New York and he was off to the races then. But that's not for everybody. No. Sounds like it doesn't happen. Andy Kim did the same thing. Yeah, uh, you know, went to New York and knocked on doors until finally somebody listened to him. And uh, those people, I have so much respect for anyone who can do that. But um, I just wasn't—I didn't have the fire within me to want to go and knock on doors and sit around and wait and hope that something was going to happen. I just wanted to be where I was comfortable and where I knew I could work and uh, enjoy the the music that we were playing so that I stayed here. Yeah, no, I'm more of that mindset as well. I, I'm a bit of a homebody, and I, I just found being on the road and stuff, I was, I was never more down in my life. I mean, I'm a positive guy, I'm a happy guy, but I was never more down in my life than when I was on the road and away on a six-week trip or a four-week trip and just, just wanted to be at home. I just, I'm a homebody, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, me too. So, and, and it was a nice story about your, your wife and yourself going to have your 50th anniversary. I always ask people, what did you sacrifice for the success you achieved? Because some people, I mean, it's, it's horrendous. It's two pages long of the things that they gave up in their lives to, to achieve success. But what did you sacrifice for the success that you achieved? And do you think it was worth it? You know, I don't really think I sacrificed anything. Um, I, I did what I set out to do. I was lucky to meet uh, my wife, Marilyn. Yeah. I'm lucky that she's put up with me for all these years, but she's always been a big supporter. She, uh, you know, she just was always there, when, even when times were not the best. She was always there to say, it'll get better. So I don't really, uh, honestly, I can't really think of much that I have had to sacrifice uh, to be in the business. I just loved everything that I ever did. Uh, and uh, continue to do that. Yeah, good. Well, that's that's a nice story because some people sacrifice, of course, you know, the relationship with their kids maybe or, or an, an op, a, a different career. Some people say, well, I, I wanted to be a painter and I, I should have pursued that more. And uh, But if you love music and you have a, a modicum of success with it and it makes your life what, it, what you want it to be, and, and I feel much the same way, so I, I 
kind of agree with that, and that that would be my assessment as well. But but looking back, what would you change about the course of your career? So so you were happy that you were in the music business and you were successful at that. But you know, managers, bandmates, the studios, the producers. Um, what would you change if you could go back now and, and do it differently? Is there something that's, that jumps out at you that you would change? Not really. Um, I think that, you know, we all make mistakes along the way, and there's a couple of things that uh, I probably would have done a little bit differently, but that's all hindsight. You don't see that yeah. until later. And so um, really there's not very much, because I always think that, if if you could change something or several things in your past, you wouldn't be in the place you are today. And I'm pretty happy with where I am today, personally, yeah. uh, in my personal life and otherwise. So um, if I could change something, maybe I wouldn't be as happy right now, you know? So uh, it all worked out in the end. That's what I think. Yeah, fair enough. And from your perspective, so but did anyone ever take advantage of you or did anyone ever mistreat you or or treat you in a way that you didn't feel comfortable? Sure. They, yeah. I think anybody in this business at one time or another, especially in the younger years when you're, you know, you're not exactly educated uh, about the business, uh, I think just about everybody gets taken advantage of, and I did. Uh, but uh, it was all part of a learning process. And the one thing that you said, you know, Richard was a painter or whatever, I always, from the time I was a kid, other than music, I wanted to be a school teacher. And so about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, I took a part-time course at York University to teach English as a second language. And I've done done that off and on uh, for all those years now, and a lot of those students are now part of my life. They're like almost part of my family. So uh, I was lucky in in that I could do that part-time, play music part-time, and do the radio thing. And just I felt like everything was just uh, well-rounded and fun. Yeah, no, what a neat story. Because I usually ask, too, I like to know what, you know, tell me something about you that people wouldn't know. You know, what do you do besides music? Do you have a hobby or a passion that's outside of music? And it sounds like that has been... uh, Interest, interesting uh, way to connect and meet people and to give something back too, right? Well, yeah, and uh, actually, I think that I've learned more from my students than they learned from me. In one case, uh, I was teaching at a part-time at a, a private school, and there was this kid that came in. He was about, I don't know, 16, 17, and he was here all alone. He's from China. His family had sent him here, and uh, you, you could tell he was just sad and lonely. And he wasn't learning well. So I took him aside, and I told him that I'd give him some extra time and, you know, help him a little bit. And then I invited him home for, for dinner, because he lived in this one-room ramshackle house. He came, I asked Marilyn first, and she said, yeah, bring him home. So he came home for dinner, and it ended up that um, we invited him to move in with us, and he lived with us for three or four years uh, and took a course in plumbing, and now he's making more money than anybody I know. Wow. And he's married, wow. and ha- married and has a little girl three years old who calls me Papa. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he is really part of our lives. So all of that extra stuff that I did doing uh, ESL has turned out to be like um, just a beautiful thing in terms of the the relationships that I've been able to make. Yeah, what a nice story. And that's something greater 
uh, of greater meaning beyond the music, right? You know, kind of your legacy is obviously people, you know, you're a good singer and you've got great songs and you've done this and done that, but then you want to make a difference in the world too in some measure and, and those kinds of things are just, you know, really, really make your life, uh, give your life greater meaning. So that's a nice story. But absolutely. Like one of the students, okay. one of the students, uh, we were talking one day and I said, you know, at the end of the uh, of your life, it's not how successful you were in your business. It's the people that you touch. And he said to me, well, your fingerprints are all over me. Wow. And it was just, it just blew me away. And I'll never forget that moment. It was, it just came out of him. And it meant so much that he would say something like that. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really nice story. So, yeah. And so where do you go from here? I mean, that this, um, pandemic's obviously going to get looked after at some point and, it might even be over by the time this this podcast airs, but uh, you're going to go back and play more gigs and, and just pick up where you left off. Absolutely, um, we're staying in touch, all of us. Uh, there uh, are eight people in my band, and uh, so none of them have been working. I mean, they've been doing some writing and things like that, but not playing. And uh, so we're just all ready. You know, as soon as uh, they give us the green light, we'll be back. And uh, we've got two places. Uh, that we can play that are waiting for the green light as well and as soon as that's given we'll be playing okay well good well let's hope that's soon and do you have a bucket list in life is there what else do you need to do before you uh before you retire or before you just uh, hit the rocking chair um i don't think i'll ever hit the rocking chair <laughs> i think you know i think maybe i'm just going to keep doing what i do for as long as i can yeah. until my yeah. number's up and um if I'm able to do that, if I'm lucky enough to be able to do that, then uh, I'll be happy. Yeah. I'm happy now. I'll be happier then. So you just want to keep doing what you're doing, and you're still teaching a little bit, and you're, you've got some gigs coming up. You're yeah. still doing the radio show, so you got lots going yep. on. Yeah, and I'm, you know, it makes me feel like I'm there's something to get up for every day. Yeah. You know, like uh, you, you don't have to think, what am I going to do today? There's something to do. There's a there's uh, a goal every day to get up and and uh, reach that goal. So I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, good. Well, good for you. You're just an inspirational and very very interesting guy, Robbie. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time and sharing some of this stuff with us. It's uh, I'm sure our listeners are really going to enjoy it. So I really well, appreciate thank you, it. Dan. Many thanks to my guest, Robbie Lane, for being part of the Liner Notes podcast and sharing some insights from his extraordinary life as an entertainer. There's more information available at RobbieLane.com, and I recommend you check that out. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media so others can enjoy it as well. You can also become a member if you'd like notifications and other inside information and perks. We'd love to have you on board. We also invite you to listen to Dusty Discs Radio at DustyDiscsRadio.com. Tuesdays and Thursdays to hear music from the Canadian artists you are hearing on this show. So until next time, I'm Dan Harris.